Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Charts with Dan. We've got a lot to get to. There's a new member of the Billion Dollar Club. It's the Super Mario Brothers movie, which continues its phenomenal run across the box office around the world. We'll have all kinds of updates there. And this week, I have my annual summer box office predictions, where I will be predicting what I think the top 10 highest grossing domestic summer movies will be. The summer movie season, believe it or not, kicks off this weekend with Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. Let's Let's see if I can sustain that momentum from last year where I was able to pick all 10 movies correctly, although not in the exact positions that they landed in. So stay tuned later in the show. We'll get to that. And before we jump into the box office, just a couple of programming notes. First of all, you'll notice my background is still very Star Trekky. That's because it was set up this way for an interview that I did with the showrunner of Star Trek Picard Season 3, Terry Metalis. It was a great interview. It came out on Sunday, I believe, and I would love for you to check that out. It's a spoiler chat. We go into all of the ins and outs of Star Trek Picard Season 3, which I really, really enjoyed. It was a shocking turnaround for me on that show. So I would love if you checked out that interview with Terry. We had a great time talking Trek. Also, as you may have seen in the news, today is day one of the writer's strike, which was officially called last night, unless there was some kind of an early settlement in the morning hours before uh, this video posted. That means that all writers are now on strike in Hollywood. Usually this is something that I would cover the day of, but because we have the pre-existing schedule, Charts with Dan is going out this morning, but don't worry, I'm already working on a catch-up and explainer and an update video on the writer's strike, what it is, why they're striking, what it means for you. I'll be working on that throughout the day today, and I'm going to hopefully have that up tomorrow morning, so stay tuned for that. I'm still educating myself on a lot because it's very complex where the studios are and where the writers are in these negotiations. And one last thing, I've mentioned it in a couple of spots, and I don't think everybody knew, but I'm getting married later this year, which is very exciting, but also there's a little bit of expense that comes with getting married. So in an attempt to add a little bit to the marriage fund and also kind of just have a little bit of fun, it's something I've been thinking about doing a while, I'm doing the Cameo thing. So I'm over on Cameo now. Cameo is basically a service where for a fee, you can request any kind of a message, happy birthday, etc. It's a personalized greeting that I do and then send to you. So if it's something that you've been interested in or that you might want to try, you can find that link down in the description below and I'm over on Cameo. I don't know how long I'm going to be doing it. Maybe it'll just be, you know, a little extra money for the wedding, but who knows if I'm having a good time, maybe we'll just keep the party going. So anyway, all that out of the way, let's now get to the weekend box office and we'll start with the box office top 10. The number one movie yet again, God, these holds are incredible. 31.9% drop from last week in its fourth week at the box office. The Super Mario Brothers movie is making $40.8 million. That I mean, these numbers are, it's phenomenal. There's really no other word for what the Super Mario Brothers movie is doing right now other than phenomenal. This is just something that has obviously connected with audiences. It came out at the right time where it has a lot of runway and it still has a lot of runway, even with Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 coming out. It's gonna be interesting to me to see how much the gross might drop off with the competition posed by Guardians 3, but still, $40.8 million in week four. I think it's dropped about 30% every single weekend. Uh, that's not just a movie that is doing well because it's got a well-known IP attached to it. This is a movie that's doing well because people like it. 
Also doing well when you look at the genre is Evil Dead Rise, which dropped 50.5% in its second weekend. It opened above expectations last weekend. And then a 50% drop for a horror film is actually pretty good. We, we talk about it all the time on this show. The horror movie drops 60 to 70% is standard generally with a lot of horror films. They tend to be very front loaded. So for Evil Dead Rise to open well and then hold well, I think that means that people are responding to that movie uh, in a positive way as well and because of the low budget on that film that means it's going to do very well in the theatrical window after it was initially slated to be a streaming film in third place not performing as expected is are you there god it's me margaret the debut some people were thinking in the 10 to 15 million dollar range it only delivered a 6.7 million dollar opening there's a lot of theories about why it didn't do well i know that deadline broke down the demographics and basically it seemed like it didn't bring over the younger audience this is a book that that was written in the 70s, and so it was kind of a keystone book for a lot of people uh, that grew up in that era, the 70s, the 80s, even going into the 90s. But it seems, according to the demographics that were collected, that that was the audience that showed up. Generally, older female audiences, those are audiences that are historically slower to come out to the box office. So this may be a movie that holds well in week two, three, four, but it was not a movie that opened well and certainly below a lot of expectation. I think the hope was this would be kind of a cross-generational thing didn't quite work out. Something that is a cross-generational thing, though, no surprise here, is Star Wars. Disney put Star Wars Episode Six: Return of the Jedi, or as they called it when I grew up, Return of the Jedi, out into about 500 or a little less than 500 theaters nationwide, and it did really well. We'll look at it on a per-theater basis in a few minutes, but $5.1 million for a number four opening. John Wick Chapter 4 continuing to hold well deep into its run. It's been open for six weeks. It dropped 16.7% from last week for a $4.8 million total. Dungeons & Dragons Honor Among Thieves, again, these performances don't necessarily turn around the overall box office picture for the film, but it is nice to see that it's continuing to hold well. It's at number six. It was at number five last week. It was at number six the week before, so it's hovering right around that 5-6 spot, dropping 24.2% from last week in its fifth week of release and a $4.1 million total. Also holding fairly well is Air in its fourth week of release with a 26.5% drop from last week and a total just over $4 million. And again, the budget is what's holding this back. It had a very high acquisition cost in addition to a very high production budget. And again, that's the economics of originally intending to go to streaming. You pay out some things up front that go toward the budget. So Air's not going to turn a profit in the theatrical window, but it's nice to see that there was some faith for putting it in theaters. At number eight is the Indian film Pony and Selvan Part 2, the sequel to Pony and Selvan Part 1. That's how that works. $3.8 million in eighth place, and we'll talk more about that film in a few minutes. At number nine, Guy Ritchie's The Covenant in its second week drops 43.6% for a $3.5 million total. And at number 10, overperforming what a lot of people had expected is Sisu. We talked about this a little bit last week. $3.3 million total. I had a very busy weekend, and I was not able to get to see Sisu, but it is on my to-see list, and uh, it seems like it was also on a fair amount of other people's to-see list this last weekend. Dropping out of the top 10 this weekend, we had four films. After two weeks, we had The Pope's Exorcist, Renfield, and Suzume all exiting the top 10. And then after one week in the top 10, 
is Bo is Afraid. It opened in limited release its first weekend. Its expansion put it in the top 10 in its second weekend, but it is now out of the top 10 in its third weekend. It was a big investment from A24 on Bo is Afraid. It does not look like that investment is going to pay off financially, but perhaps it will pay off artistically, keeping Ari Aster around. Um, yeah, this is one of those movies that I think they probably, well, I don't know if they knew that they were going to lose money on, but a three-hour hallucinogenic, non-linear, uh, abstract director's vision film, it was probably very likely that they weren't going to make that money back. And, you know, I wasn't a huge fan of the movie, but at the same time, I applaud the faith in it, and I applaud the fact that A24 put up the money, and that movie exists. And I think the world is better for that movie existing than that movie not existing, because a lot of people love it, and it is an extraordinarily unique film. A couple of movies opening outside the top 10, Big George Foreman was not able to turn 3,000 screens into even a top 10 debut. It's rare to see a movie that opens that widely finish outside the top 10. It had a per theater average of just $958. And then Polite Society, I actually tagged this last week as a potential sleeper hit. It opened in 927 theaters, but only mustered an $882 per theater average for a total of $817,000. We'll see it on the limited release chart. But this surprised me a little bit because it did get a lot of buzz out of the festivals, etc. And I guess this is just another reminder that festival buzz doesn't always equal box office. Just because you can go to Sundance and get good word of mouth, that doesn't mean you can get that word of mouth initially generating amongst moviegoers. Now, maybe the word of mouth will spread over the next few weeks, but again, I have to applaud Focus Features here for acquiring the film and putting it into a near-wide release situation, 900-plus theaters, instead of burying it or sending it straight to streaming. This is something we're seeing as theaters are reopening. A lot of times, these distributors will take a chance on a risky film. Maybe people aren't showing up for it yet, but that doesn't mean that they won't show up for films like it in the future. And I like to see A24 and Focus and these other distributors continuing to show faith in smaller films or movies that are off the beaten path because it means perhaps that even if this one doesn't work, the next one down the line could find that box office audience. Let's look at what I like to call the road to recovery. So the three lines you see there are the blue line, which is the average weekend box office from 2015 through 2019, the five years preceding the pandemic. The red line, which is the box office weekend average of 2021 and 2022 after theaters began to reopen. And then the dotted black line, which is this year's box office. We took a pretty steep fall uh, from last week. We're just under $100 million of total box office, but that should shoot back up this upcoming weekend with Guardians 3 opening. When we look at the historic comparisons, the highest performance performing film from the 2021 to 2022 era was the opening of Mortal Kombat back in 2021, one of the first big movies to come out into a lot of theaters. It was also part of that HBO Max day and date experiment. And then there's a little movie you may have heard of called Avengers Endgame that absolutely owned the last weekend of April, the 17th week of the year, back in 2019. And you see how high that average box office is for that five-year period. That's because that encompasses not only the release of Avengers Endgame, but also the release of Avengers Infinity War, which got that last weekend in April jump on the summer movie season as well. So uh, unlikely that we're going to see another movie perform as well in week 17 or maybe any other week of the year, at least not in the near future. So that may be why this box office weekend suffered so much in comparison to the pre-pandemic era because we had two of the highest opening weekends of all time in that week 17 frame. 
looking outside the domestic box office now to the international box office. This is basically all markets outside of the U.S. and Canada. The number one movie, no surprise, is the Super Mario Brothers movie, which just got its start in South Korea and Japan, where it opened very well. A $68.3 million international take for Super Mario Brothers over the weekend of the 28th through the 30th. In China, Born to Fly at number two, $40.5 million just from the Chinese market. Godspeed at number three with $31.6 million. This is again from China. It's a comedy about a man who takes a road trip with his future in-laws. At number four, another film from the Chinese market, All These Years, about two exes who meet up again after many years apart. And at number five is Pony and Selvin Part Two. This is an estimate, $14.6 million. This is the best estimate that I could get as I was preparing the show. I've seen a few since then that are perhaps a little bit higher, uh, but many places don't have the movie listed at all. It's just kind of the continuing struggle to get real-time box office data from the Indian box office. So when we take those international numbers, we combine them with our domestic numbers, we get our top five movies worldwide over the previous weekend. And pocketing another $109.1 million is the Super Mario Brothers movie, the big debut in Japan, its stronghold domestically, another nine-digit weekend as we go into Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 being released. So continued impressive numbers for the Super Mario Brothers movie. Born to Fly, adding a little bit of money from the domestic box office for a $40.6 million total. Then Godspeed at number three with $31.6 million. Evil Dead Rise, comparing some international markets with its domestic total with $26.3 million. And then All These Years at number five with $18.8 million. So let's take a look at the continued success of the Super Mario Brothers movie. It was the best animated fourth wide weekend gross. The reason that I specify wide weekend is that 1994's The Lion King would actually have made this list if it it was weekends overall, but its first weekend was in limited release. So this is fourth weekend in wide release. The Super Mario Brothers movie at $40.8 million, beating the record that was set by Incredibles 2 a few summers ago at $28.4 million. Then we have the first Monsters, Inc. film called Monsters, Inc. at $24 million. Zootopia at number four, also at just over $24 million. And then the original Incredibles movie at number five with $23.5 million. Of course, if you're doing just for inflation, it would be much closer. But the Super Mario Brothers movie now setting records for first weekend, second weekend, third weekend, fourth weekend, as far as highest grossing animated film. If you discount the Lion King 2019, which is apparently Schrodinger's movie. It is neither live action nor animated. I can't tell you what it is. And the Super Mario Brothers movie has made some big progress on the top 10 animated film all-time domestic chart. It was down, I believe, at number 9 last week. It's now the second highest grossing animated film of all time domestically, unadjusted for inflation. It has topped Frozen, Toy Story 3, 1994's The Lion King, Toy Story 4, Shrek 2, Frozen 2, Finding Dory, and is now about $120 million behind Incredibles 2 to be the highest grossing animated film of all time. The big question being now, can it gross another $118 million or so domestically to become the highest grossing animated film of all time? I'm, that's a tall order. I'm not quite sure it can get there. Now, it's been holding spectacularly over the last several weeks. So if it did do that, 
it wouldn't be the biggest surprise in the world. This movie has surprised us, much like Top Gun Maverick did last summer, at every turn. So perhaps it can hold on and, and make that much money still at the domestic box office, but it would be a task, and we'll see if Mario's up to it. It has also now entered the top 10 animated films of all time list worldwide. It's now just over 2016's Zootopia, and when you look at these other movies, I mean, it's only about $40 million behind the number six movie, which is Toy Story 3. It's only about $50 million, less than $50 million behind the number five movie, which is Toy Story 4. So by this time next week, we will most definitely see the Super Mario Brothers movie as the fifth highest grossing film of all time worldwide. And then it basically just has Minions, Incredibles 2, Frozen, and Frozen 2 to get to that number one spot. I don't know, again, if Super Mario Brothers has another $400 million left in it at the worldwide box office. It may, but I don't think it's going to get up to that Frozen 2 level. So the question then becomes, is it going to beat Minions at $1.15 billion? I think it's very likely that it's going to. Then it's $1.24 and $1.28 billion to top Incredibles 2 and Frozen for the number three and number two highest grossing film spots of all time animated worldwide. That becomes the discussion, and it's going to be interesting to track Super Mario Brothers through these different weeks worldwide as it plays out in the Japanese market and domestically and everywhere else. One place where there's no question about where it stands is the ranks in the Illumination Entertainment canon. First of all, by all-time domestic gross, it continues to rack up a huge lead on the scoreboard. It is the highest grossing movie of all time for Illumination. It's going to crack a half billion dollars domestically very soon. It is now adjusted for inflation, the highest grossing film in Illumination's history domestically at $490.8 million. That beats Despicable Me 2's $476.8 million when you adjust those numbers for inflation. So it's now number one, no question there. And then the question, as we were just talking about with Minions, is it going to become the highest grossing film of all time for Illumination worldwide? The Super Mario Brothers movie is now at $1.02 billion. It needs to get to $1.15 billion in order to best Minions, which means it needs to make about another $130 million. I think it's going to do that worldwide. I think it is definitely going to do that. So one week, two weeks, perhaps, the Super Mario Brothers movie will be the highest grossing movie for Illumination all time worldwide. And of course, we'll keep track of that as we go. I've been doing this estimate of how much money Super Mario Brothers might be making as far as overall profit. Now, again, these are just my estimates given what's out there about what may be coming in from particular markets. This is not based on official reporting from any studio. So let's look at where we are. A 20% share of the Chinese cut. It hasn't been huge in China, so that equals out to about $4.2 million. A 40% share of the money that's come in internationally. We're now at over half a billion dollars internationally. So that's a cut of about 205.8 million dollars 60 percent share of the first week domestic box office that's 122.7 million dollars a 55 percent share of the second week domestic box office that's about 81.6 million dollars and then a 50 percent share of the box office from week three onward that equals out to about 68.8 million dollars if you add all of that up it comes out to about 483.3 million dollars you take out an estimated 225 million dollars in production costs that's budget as well as prints and advertising that's two 
$233.3 million that's going back to Nintendo, Illumination, Universal, probably Chris Pratt, Jack Black, any of the talent that had participation deals. Like This movie is generating a lot of money for a lot of different people. And something that I looked at last week was the comparison of the theatrical revenue, basically how much money is coming back from theaters, not taking out profit, just the pure amount of money from the theatrical run going back to the investors and the studios. And by my estimates, again, when you look at it versus what Deadline listed as the most profitable blockbusters of 2022, when it comes to theatrical revenue, the Super Mario Brothers movie is second only to Avatar The Way of Water and Top Gun Maverick as far as money brought in just in the theatrical window. Avatar The Way of Water was reported to have brought in about $1.26 billion in theatrical revenue, Top Gun Maverick about $700 million, and then you have my estimate for the Super Mario Brothers movie with $483.3 million generated in theatrical revenue. That tops the reported estimates from Deadline for Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, Jurassic World Dominion, Black Panther Wakanda Forever, Minions The Rise of Gru, The Batman, Thor Love and Thunder, Puss in Boots The Last Wish. I mean, these are hit movies, but the Super Mario Brothers movie is an even bigger hit. One thing I didn't want to lose in the mix here is John Wick. John Wick Chapter 4 has now become the highest grossing film in the franchise domestically. It finally passed John Wick Chapter 3 Parabellum. It's still second behind John Wick Chapter 3 Parabellum when you look at the franchise domestically adjusted for inflation. It has to make about another $25.2 million to be the highest grossing film in the franchise adjusted. I don't know if it's quite going to make it there. But again, when you look at it worldwide, it's building a huge lead on all of the other John Wick films that is now past the $400 million mark worldwide. So it's about $80 million, $75 million ahead of John Wick Chapter 3. So this is a franchise best for John Wick officially, domestically, and worldwide. And given the fact that it had not a massive production budget, I mean, it was about a, around $100 million, so it's not nothing, uh, but it's certainly making a nice return on that budget and and scaling up like a franchise should. It's basically graduating based on the demand of the franchise, and so every one of these movies has been a hit in some form or another. We have so much more to break down, but before we do, I want to thank one of our sponsors this week, ExpressVPN. And I want you to think real quick about just how much time you spend on your phone every day, on social media, shopping, or just reading the news and browsing the internet. But what you may not know is that many carriers also collect that browsing information. ExpressVPN is an app that prevents your carrier from being able to see the sites you visit and sell it to third parties. All it takes is one tap of a button and all of your network data gets encrypted and rerouted through ExpressVPN's secure servers for ultimate privacy. Not only does this shield your web browsing, ExpressVPN also protects all of your network data so that you can stay private even when using your favorite apps. And the best part is that one subscription can be used on up to five devices at the same time. Right now on my account, I'm running ExpressVPN on my laptop, my phone, and my iPad, and it's simple and easy to use on all of them. When your phone carrier tracks you, that's a gross invasion of privacy. You can either keep letting them cash in, or you can visit expressvpn.com Merle to get the same VPN that I use. Take back your online privacy today and use my link to get three extra months free. That's expressvpn.com slash Merle, M-U-R-R-E-L-L, expressvpn.com slash Merle. 
Let's take a look now at the per theater averages for this past weekend. At number one is the Italian film The Eight Mountains, which opened in two theaters and brought in a per theater average of about $18,000. This movie is about two friends who reunite in the Alps. It received the Grand Prix last year at the Cannes Film Festival, basically the third place prize tied with EO, which was nominated for Best International Film at the Oscars this year. In second place, this was smart distribution strategy from Disney. In 475 theaters was Star Wars Episode VI Return of the Jedi, the re-release, 40th anniversary re-release. It was only released in 475 theaters, but this wasn't a case where the theaters were all in big cities or kind of clustered just on the coast. Return of the Jedi played at my local theater, one of them, and we went to see it, Mara and I, this weekend, and it was, I think, practically a sold-out theater. And I mean, I think that they really looked at the markets where this movie might perform well and released it strategically. So those 475 theaters delivered $10,738 per theater, meaning if you were a theater owner who had Return of the Jedi booked this past weekend, on average, it brought in more people than the Super Mario Brothers movie. So that's good news for them. And I hope that this is proof also to the different studios that a strategic re-release strategy of bringing back movies like Return of the Jedi uh, can work, that you can generate some box office heat from that. We saw it during the pandemic a lot because there was no other stuff to release, but I hope that this is also proof that you can bring back some of these library titles strategically and people will show up to see it. That's the second highest per theater average of the weekend there. At number three is the Super Mario Brothers movie bringing in $9,714 in 4,204 theaters. At number four is the documentary 32 Sounds, which is about the nature, the impact, of sound as it regards the human experience. It actually sounds <laughs> interesting, although currently it's only playing in one theater, bringing in $9,224 in that theater. And at number five is Pony and Selvan Part 2, playing in 600 theaters, bringing in $6,355 per theater, and again, showing the strength of Indian cinema in limited release. And speaking of limited release, these are the top five films in limited release this past weekend, meaning 1,000 theaters or fewer. Return of the Jedi is at number one with its $5.1 million gross and a top five gross there. Pony and Selvin Part 2 is at number 2. It had a top 10 gross in 600 theaters at $3.8 million. As I mentioned, Polite Society in 927 theaters, a somewhat disappointing take at $817,740. At number 4, Nefarious in its third week in theaters, still in 333 theaters, bringing in $570,000. And in its second week, Ray Romano's directorial debut, which he also stars in, Somewhere in Queens, playing in 499 theaters, bringing in just over $321,000. Looking at the limited release top 10 grocers this year, this is all tickets sold since January 1st. Patan remaining the top draw in limited release at $17.4 million, followed by A Man Called Auto at number two, Women Talking at number three. Return of the Jedi making a debut in the top five at $5.1 million. It's strange to see Star Wars as one of the biggest draws in limited release of the year, but that's just how it goes. The Wandering Earth is at number five, dropping down one spot. Mummies is at number six, also dropping down one spot. Bo is Afraid moves up one spot to number seven, but its gross is going to be frozen 
at that number you see there, 4,208,533, because that was the film's gross when it passed that 1,000 theater threshold. This is the way that we do this chart, is we count a movie as being in limited release while it is in limited release, playing in under 1,000 theaters, but once it goes into its 1,001st theater, we freeze that gross as far as this chart goes. We continue to measure it on other box office charts. So Bo's Afraid there, that's going to be its final limited release number. The Whale bumps down to Two spots to number eight. Pony and Selvin enters the chart at number nine, and Nefarious enters the chart at number ten. Three movies dropping off of the limited release chart this week: A Thousand and One, the 2023 Oscar shorts, and Living. And as we talk about all these movies that are in limited release or at the specialty box office, I'd like to take a moment to feature an independent theater as we have been doing on the show for the past several weeks. And this week we are talking about The Loft Cinema in Tucson, Arizona, which has existed in its current form as an indie-focused art house since 1972, so it just celebrated its 50th anniversary. Back in 2002, a group of cinema lovers in Tucson bought the theater to preserve its history and its mission and turned it into a nonprofit. Since then, the theater is known not just for showing indie films, but also for special events, including Screamorama horror movie sleepovers, as well as classic film spotlight series. Currently, The Loft is running a cult classic series featuring films like Princess Mononoke, Ready or Not, and Romy and Michelle's High School Reunion. There are also special events coming up, like a May the 4th screening of The Empire Strikes Back, and uh, this is my favorite, a Mother's Day screening of Aliens. What a perfect movie to screen on Mother's Day. If you go to the theater this week, you can also catch up on indies like Showing Up, Polite Society, Bo is Afraid, and Everything Everywhere All at Once. This really sounds like a cool place. They've been operating for decades now. They used to operate out of an actual loft above, I think, a bike shop. You can check out the Loft Cinema at loftcinema.org, which is where you can become a member. Or you can donate at loftcinema.org because they're a 501c3 organization, which is what I'll be doing because as a reminder, this week and every week that we feature an indie movie theater, 10% of the ad revenue from YouTube will go to those theaters as a donation. I've already donated to several theaters and it just feels great to be able to support these organizations and by watching this video and the ads and everything else you're also supporting these independent theaters so the loft cinema in tucson arizona this week's indie theater spotlight and if you go there if you catch a movie or if you donate as always be sure to tell them that dan sent you very quickly, before we get to the summer box office predictions, let's look at the yearly box office. Now, prior to this week, these numbers were listed as the 2023 winter-spring box office, but that pretty much just means any movie released in 2023. And since we're transitioning next week into the summer box office, this just becomes the annual domestic box office. The Super Mario Brothers movie, of course, the number one movie of the year domestically, $490.8 million. Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania, this is going to be right around what its final number is, $212.9 $9 million. John Wick Chapter 4 right now at $176 million. Creed 3 is at number 4 with $156.1 million. Scream 6 at number 5 with $108.1 million. Megan is at number 6 with a final domestic gross at just over $95 million. Dungeons & Dragons Honor Among Thieves is trying to battle its way to a $100 million domestic gross. It's right now at $88.2 million. Cocaine Bear, also now a final domestic gross at $64.3 million. Shazam! Fury of the Gods at $57.6 million. And Jesus Revolution at number 10 domestically with $52.1 million. You would have to think that one of these movies will be going. I guess it'd be Jesus Revolution next week with the opening of 
Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. Now, something else that I used to do every week, but now I'm basically doing it as an end-of-the-month update, is the box office market share. So when you take all tickets sold this year, what percentage of those tickets is going to each studio? How much is each studio generating as far as overall ticket sales? Let's look at where we were at the end of March. Universal had a 20.97% market share. Disney had 31%, and then all of the other studios kind of sharing the rest of that pie. Well, one Super Mario Brothers movie later, let's see how that number changes, and you see the big beneficiary is Universal, which now has a 32.93% market share for the year so far, meaning that if you bought a movie ticket in calendar year 2023, one out of three of those tickets was for a Universal Studios film. So a great start to the year for Universal. Universal's expansion really comes at the expense of Disney. Its market share shrunk about 11% due to a lack of new releases. All of the other studios remain roughly the same. Paramount just under a 10% market share. Warner's at 5.39%. Sony's at around 7%. I've relabeled MGM UA as Amazon because Amazon owns both of them and is also releasing their own film. So right now, all of that is under one umbrella as Amazon at 8.5% market share, Lionsgate at 10.5%, and then all other studios at 5.57%. Of course, Disney looking to claw back a lot of that market share this summer, starting this weekend with Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. The Little Mermaid is also going to be a May release. It opens the last weekend in May. So I think the next time that we look at this chart, it will definitely have some big changes. Finally, looking at the 2023 worldwide box office, really no change here from last week, except for the fact that the Super Mario Brothers movie has now broken that $1 billion barrier. Full River Red is at number two still with $673.5 million. That appears to be now a final gross. The Wandering Earth 2 is at number three with a total of just over $600 million. Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania will not make that half billion dollar mark. $474.5 million in fourth place. John Wick Chapter 4 at four hundred. $102 million in fifth place. Creed 3 in sixth place at $272.3 million. Boonie Bears Guardian Code at number seven with $221.5 million. That is now a final gross. Dungeons and Dragons Honor Among Thieves at number eight. It's trying to crack $200 million worldwide, currently at $194.2 million. Megan is at number six with $176.8 million. That's a final gross. And then Scream 6 at number 10 with $168.9 million. Of course, all of those charts are going to look radically different in just a few weeks because even though it's the first weekend in May, the way that the movie release schedule has shifted, that means that it is the official beginning of the summer movie season. This really started with Marvel. Marvel kind of staked out that first weekend in May. I think the Fast and Furious franchise kicked things off doing that even before Marvel got there. But yes, even with kids in school and snow on the ground in parts of the U.S., it is time to talk about summer movies. Something that I have done for many years now is predict what I think the top 10 movies of the summer are going to be domestically. This is very key. This is not worldwide grosses because a lot of these movies come out at different times around the world. It'd be a little bit more difficult. So this is domestic, US, Canada box office, but it's still fun to talk about because it is what the biggest movies of the summer are going to be. I did it for several years back on Screen Junkies. We took 2020 off, obviously. Then I've done it the last two years here on this channel. So what follows here are my best guesses for what the top 10 movies domestically at the summer box office are going to be. And I say my best guesses, my prediction accuracy is actually not terrible. 
I'm at 57 out of 70 movies predicted accurately over the seven years that I've done this. So that's about 81.4% accuracy. Last year was the first time I've ever picked all 10 movies correctly thanks to a late surge from DC League of Super Pets, one of the few times that Dwayne The Rock Johnson didn't completely screw me over in this competition. Thankfully, The Rock does not have a big movie coming out this summer, so I don't have to worry about that. But on average, I'm getting about eight out of 10 of these correct, which isn't too bad. Sometimes I'm heinously wrong. I was really big on In the Heights a couple years ago, and that was just an embarrassing pick for me. So what are the 10 movies that I am predicting this year to be the highest grossing movies of the summer domestically? Well, let's do it, and we'll start with number 10. I'm not just picking 10 movies in no order. I'm picking them in this order, and at number 10 is one of the big wild cards for the year in my book, and that is Barbie. I'm really including this as a stopgap measure in case this thing explodes because I think that it has a chance to do that if it, if it taps into something very specific. And it looks like that's what this movie's trying to do is tap into something very specific. I could see this thing becoming a massive hit. And if it does, I didn't want to be the one guy that didn't include it on his list at all. But I will say I could also see this movie not connecting with anybody because I don't even know at this point what to make of this film. I don't really know what it's about. I don't quite know what they're going with as far as tone. It looks very odd. It looks like it is a bit of a risk, but I couldn't not put it on the list because I think it has a lot of upward potential, maybe even top five potential for the summer. And I didn't want to look completely silly in case it really takes off. So I have Barbie as my number 10 film of the summer. At number nine is the movie that is directly competing head-to-head -head with Barbie on its opening weekend, and that's Christopher Nolan's Oppenheimer. It also opens on July 21st domestically, and I picked it for a few reasons. Number one, several years ago, I did not pick Dunkirk to be one of the 10 highest grossing films of the summer, and it was. It actually had a very strong box office performance domestically. And then looking at this movie specifically, I think that this captures a lot of different crowds. Number one, a lot of these cinephiles, people that wouldn't be caught dead at a comic book film, Marvel or DC or otherwise, will be there on opening weekend. I mean, this is the Marvel movie for a certain segment of the movie-going population. Then number two, the fact that this this is a historical film. I think you get a lot of the dad population. I think you get a lot of the folks that drove Top Gun Maverick to such high grosses last year because you have the history buffs, the World War II buffs, the people that want to see this portrayal of an historical event. And then there's the kind of prestige audience. If this movie turns out great, and uh, there's always buzz on a Nolan film, but the buzz could be that maybe this is the one that could break through even more than Inception as far as awards consideration, etc. Well, then the word of mouth drives that. Every year, it seems like there's a movie that's more adult-oriented, more geared towards adults that makes the box office top 10. Dunkirk was one of them. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood made the box office top 10 one summer. Elvis last summer, which I picked as one of the 10 highest-grossing summer movie films. And I'm picking Oppenheimer this year as the kind of movie for adults that's going to break through and be one of the 10 highest-grossing films of the summer. On the other end of that spectrum is Fast X. I think this movie is likely to perform much better worldwide than domestically. And really, when you look at the domestic grosses for this franchise, it's not in the strongest position. However, 
F9 did do all right a couple years ago, back when theaters were still very much getting back on their feet. And so it's actually really kind of hard to judge the relative strength of this franchise because of the interruption with the pandemic and how the movie might have done had it not come out during a time when a lot of people still weren't sure about going to the movies. But I think that there is still, pardon the pun, gas left in the tank for the Fast franchise. Maybe people will be brought in by the fact that this is the beginning of the end of the road, apparently. But I don't think it's a franchise that's where it was at the box office, domestically especially, even five or six years ago. So that's why I have Fast X far down there at number eight. At number seven is a movie that a few years ago would not be a risk, but I think that this is a bit of a risky pick. I'm picking Elemental, the newest film from Pixar, and this is really going to be a referendum on any potential damage theatrically that Disney has done to the Pixar brand, because usually, I mean, if you go back five years ago, it would be an easy pick to put the newest Pixar film in the summer box office top 10. But now the question really is out there. Have they trained, has Disney trained people that Pixar films are not to be seen in theaters? We had the huge underperformance of Lightyear. Last summer, that's a big red flag, but that was a bit of a confusing film. People didn't quite get it. They didn't quite know what the aim was for it. So I wouldn't be shocked, honestly, if Elemental puts up very disappointing box office numbers. But I am taking a bit of a bet on the Pixar brand name to say that maybe it still holds some weight. I may regret that choice but we'll see. At number six is a movie that I think some people might be surprised to see this low. It's Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. Now, I underrated Top Gun Maverick last year. Perhaps I'm underrating this one again, but it's not really so much that I think this is a weak film. It's just that I think that the other movies have a stronger connection to the current marketplace. It's been a long time since an Indiana Jones film came out. This one is not being directed by Steven Spielberg. Kingdom of the Crystal Skull doesn't exactly have the best reputation now, if this movie turns out fantastic, this could make me look really dumb. It could be like Top Gun. I think I picked Top Gun Maverick number five last summer, and it was easily number one. The same thing could happen to this film. But there are a few things that have me hedging my bets just a little bit on Dial of Destiny, and that's why I've got it down at number six. Much more to come, but before we do, I want to thank our other sponsor this week, Mint Mobile. One frustration that nearly every mobile customer shares is trying to figure out your plan. I tried switching a while back, and it was nearly impossible to compare plans between companies because no one could tell me what I was actually paying for or even how much it would be each month. Well, the answer to this problem is here, and it's called Mint Mobile. Mint Mobile offers premium wireless starting at just 15 bucks a month, no binding contracts or ridiculous promotions, no charges that you don't find out about until six months after you sign up. Every plan at Mint Mobile is straightforward, easy to understand, and it delivers exactly what you pay for. Mint Mobile gives you the best rate whether you're buying for one or a family, and at Mint Mobile, families start at two lines. All of these plans come with unlimited talk and text, as well as high-speed data, delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. You can use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan, and that means you can also keep your number along with your existing contacts. Get premium wireless from just 15 bucks a month with no unexpected surprises at mintmobile.com slash Merle. That's mintmobile.com slash Merle. Seriously, you will make your wallet very happy at mintmobile.com slash Merle. 
At number five is Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1, one of the worst names for a summer blockbuster in quite some time. The only reason they've got Mission Impossible at number five, really, when you look at the franchise, domestically, it tends to top out at around $200 million, but I think that there's some spillover, or going to be some spillover from Top Gun Maverick and people wanting to see the next big Tom Cruise movie, and just the fact that these movies keep getting bigger. I mean, I honestly think that maybe they shot the second part of this like on the moon, because that's pretty much what Tom Cruise hasn't done yet, is like literally shoot himself in a rocket into space and like not even maybe the moon like maybe they shot it on mars like that just seems to be the escalation with tom cruise so i think there's going to be some buzz around this some people that want to see it on the big screen they're kind of selling the whole spectacle angle of this so i've got mission impossible dead reckoning part one at number five at number four is a movie that a lot of people are skeptical about some people are outright saying this movie is going to be a flop but i just have a feeling that it might actually connect with people and that's The Flash. It had its big CinemaCon debut. The buzz was very positive about the film. Really, the selling point for me here is Batman. If this was just a Flash movie with all of the other issues going on on screen and off screen with this character and the fact that this movie was delayed so long and it's not really quite a hot hand anymore... I don't think that I'd be as high on it. But the fact that you've got Batman involved, Batman is a big box office draw. People love Batman, and you've got not just Batman, but you've got Michael Keaton and Ben Affleck returning in the role. There's that curiosity factor with what they're going to do with the DC Universe, maybe not to the layman, but to the people that are really invested in the comic book film. I think it's similar to a much smaller degree to the curiosity that was around Spider-Man No Way Home as far as well, what are they going to do with the timeline, and and what other characters are they going to bring in? Are there surprise cameos? What's going to happen with the DC Universe? I just think there's an inherent curiosity, and if the film is as good as described by the people that saw it last week, then I think that it's got some real potential. So I'm investing in the potential of The Flash at number four. This one could also really bite me in the butt if the movie doesn't deliver. At number three is the movie that's opening this upcoming weekend, which is Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. I know there's not a lot of great buzz around Marvel right now, but this is a franchise with a lot of goodwill. If you've seen my review here on the channel, I wasn't a huge fan of the movie. I, I didn't hate it, but I wasn't like, you know, jumping out of my seat. But I, I appear to be in the minority, at least as far as critics that saw the movie thus far. So if audiences react in the way that most other critics have, then it seems like this is going to be another crowd pleaser and I think it should do pretty well at the box office. So this is almost kind of a safe number three. I guess the big downside here would be if there is this lingering effect with MCU films where people just aren't that interested anymore, then it could drop pretty well. But I would, I mean, the fact that it could perhaps not be in the top 10, I think that would be one of the biggest box office shocks for me of all time. At number two is a film that I'm taking a flyer on, and it's Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. The first film did well at the box office, but it certainly was not a huge hit. This is a movie, though, that has really gained a following in the years after its initial release. It won the Academy Award for Best Animated Film. It has been easily accessible on streaming, so I think a lot of people saw the first movie at home and now would be excited to see the sequel in the theater. Spider-Man, of course, a huge box office hit with Spider-Man No Way home. I think they're doing a good job of linking that movie to this one. Audiences now are already primed with the idea of what a multiverse is. You don't have to sell people on like, why are there a bunch of Spider-Man? That education is done. That was done in No Way Home. That's been done in Multiverse of Madness. People understand the concept of the movie. It looks vibrant. It looks funny. I, if the movie is as good as the first one, then I think it should have great word of mouth. This is me buying into the potential of the franchise in the first film and hoping that they deliver something at that same scale. 
but I'm going to go ahead and buy in pretty high on Across the Spider-Verse at number two. And finally, my number one movie, and I don't know if I've ever been less enthused, honestly, to pick a movie as my number one film, but some people might call it the safe pick. I'm putting The Little Mermaid as the number one movie at the summer box office, if only because there's been no evidence that people don't want this, that they don't want their childhood regurgitated back to them and basically remade in live action. I mean, these these movies are big hits, and they have been big hits for a very long time. Aladdin was a big hit. The Lion King was a big hit. Beauty and the Beast was a big hit. Why wouldn't The Little Mermaid be a big hit? Now, I guess the only detractors would be Disney's in a very weird political battle right now, and there have been some, I, I don't think they're really controversies, but people have been griping about this movie from the very beginning. So I guess it's possible that some people may decide to stay home, but I don't think it's likely to be enough people that it would affect the movie that much. I guess the only big thing would be if it was just terrible, but if they're just replicating the pattern of The Little Mermaid, then I really don't know how bad you could get with a movie like this. So I'm going with the safe choice. I'm saying The Little Mermaid. It's opening over Memorial Day weekend. You've got the people that want to see the movie that they loved as a kid. You've got those people also bringing their kids and then their kids like the movie and they're going to want to go see the movie again and again. I'm not honestly looking forward to The Little Mermaid. I'm going to go in with an open mind. Maybe it'll shock the hell out of me and it'll reinvent everything or restage everything in such a wonderful way that it becomes one of my favorite movies of the summer. But it is my pick for the number one movie of the summer. So there you go. These are my summer box office top 10 predictions domestically. Number one, The Little Mermaid. Number two, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. Number three, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. Number four, The Flash. Number five, Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1. Number six, Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. Number seven, Elemental. Number eight, Fast X. Number nine, Oppenheimer. And number 10, Barbie. Some movies I didn't include that very well could be on this top 10 list and that I wouldn't be surprised to see there. Of course, we have Transformers Rise of the Beasts. Honestly, I think this franchise has been sinking domestically for years now, basically almost a decade. I have not seen any sign that people are ready to re-embrace it, uh, again, at a domestic level, maybe on a worldwide level. But you never know if people are just excited about this take or it's been long enough since a Transformers live-action film, then maybe they'll want to go see it. Haunted Mansion from Disney. It opens in late July. If this movie's really great, we could see a Pirates of the Caribbean type film where it plays all through August and you know you've got a great all-star cast it certainly has potential so I could definitely see it being a top 10 summer movie Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Mutant Mayhem it's happened before where a new Ninja Turtles film opens in August and makes the overall summer box office top 10 back when they relaunched the live action series several years ago so if this animated film taps into the same audience it could replicate that achievement some other movies that could potentially make it No Hard Feelings starring Jennifer Lawrence it is a raunchy R-rated comedy that has gotten some early buzz. The Meg 2, The Trench. Maybe it's a bad idea for me not to put this movie on there because it's another August release. The first movie, The Meg, was a top 10 summer hit, so perhaps I'm underestimating this franchise yet again. DC's Blue Beetle in August. August 18th, the movie opens. I think that The Flash has some heat. I don't necessarily think that heat is going to transfer over to Blue Beetle, but if it does become one of these origin stories that connects with people that they really enjoy, then it could be a top 10 movie. And then opening on the last week where I measure the summer box office, it goes from the first weekend in May to Labor Day weekend, is The Equalizer 3, which opens on September 1st. Could Denzel come back with this third film in the action franchise and have a top 10 summer hit? The first two 
two movies both made exactly almost identical $100 million plus grosses. So perhaps the Equalizer 3 will do the same, capitalize on perhaps some underperformances and make the top 10. Also, a few sleepers, The Boogeyman, which is getting a lot of buzz. It opens in early June. It's a horror film, and horror films often take one of the spots on the summer top 10. Strays, which is the R-rated talking dog comedy with Will Ferrell, Kevin Hart, and others, opens in early June. If that one connects, I could see it making the list. Insidious the Red Door is a long shot of long shots, but again, horror can do well sometimes. I don't really know if this franchise has the gas to make it into a top 10 summer movie. And then Gran Turismo in August. Who knows? You never know. This movie could turn out to be great and perhaps continue the hot streak from the Super Mario Brothers movie when it comes to video game adaptations. So those are my predictions on the summer box office. And as I do every year, I invite you to post your list down in the comments. Do you think that I'm nuts? I always want to hear what you think. So post those lists down in the comments below. We've been running quite long on the show because we're picking all these movies. So let's start to wrap it up. Before we do, I want to take a look, as always, at a weekend in box office history. And we are going back to the weekend of April 25th through the 27th, 2003. So 20 years ago, the 17th weekend of the year, which saw the opening of Identity starring John Cusack and a cast of many people including the late great Ray Liotta. A number one opening at $16.2 million. Not bad for a movie of that type. I haven't seen Identity in a while. The last time I watched it, I remembered enjoying it. It's one of those movies that's a little twisty-turny. It's a murder mystery with a twist of its own, so uh, I may have to revisit that and see if it's as good as I remember. At number two is Anger Management, starring Adam Sandler and Jack Nicholson. In its third week, it was still good enough for number two at the box office with a $15 million total. In third place was Holes, starring Sigourney Weaver and a very young Shia LaBeouf, amongst others. In its second week, it dropped just 23% from its opening for a $12.5 million total. At number four, this was the early 2000, folks, Jamie Kennedy in Malibu's Most Wanted, dropping 41.8% and a $7.3 million total. This may be one of those movies that if you're going to make the all-time early 2000s list, the movies that defined just what it was to be in the early 2000s, Malibu's Most Wanted would be one of those that would go very high up on the list. And then at number five is Confidence, one of my favorite all-time overlooked movies. It's a heist movie. I love heist movies. It has a great cast. Dustin Hoffman is doing some crazy stuff in that film. I saw it when it came out. Not a whole lot of other people did. Uh, but if you can check it out, I think it's available for rental through most of the places that do rentals. It's not a huge streaming movie, but I think it's on a couple of the free services. If you have a free night or a free afternoon, give Confidence a try. Take a flyer on that movie because I think it's actually pretty good. Of course, we don't just leave those numbers as they are. We like to take a look at what they would look like when you adjust them for inflation, which doesn't change the order of the movies, just kind of puts their grosses into a more current perspective. So when we hit that inflation button, we have Identity with a debut of $26.6 million, Anger Management with a third week gross of $24.6 million. This was a big box office hit for both Sandler and Nicholson at the time. Holes with $20.5 million in week two. Malibu's Most Wanted at just over $12 million in its second week. And then Confidence opening to a still fairly low for a movie of its size and cast, $7.4 million. 
And that wraps us up for this week on Charts with Dan. Opening this upcoming weekend at the box office, of course, the big movie is Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, opening wide everywhere. The only competition it has as far as wide releases is some counter-programming, I guess you would call it, called Love Again, co-starring Priyanka Chopra Jonas. She's in a lot of stuff lately. Then a few films in limited release. One of them is called What's Love Got to Do With It? It is not the Tina Turner biopic or a remake of the Tina Turner biopic. It's a romantic film starring Lily James, Emma Thompson, and Shazad Latif, directed by Shikhar Kapoor, who has directed films including Elizabeth the Golden Age. So you can catch that one in probably somewhat limited release around the country. Also in limited release this upcoming weekend is Chile 76, which is set during the Pinochet era in Chile's history, directed by Manuela Martelli. Thanks so much for joining me on Charts this week. I'll be back next week to look at the opening of Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, how it stacks up against other Marvel films, and how the summer movie season is looking after it is officially underway. As always, be sure to leave your thoughts on your summer picks down in the comments below. Also check the description below for more about this week's sponsors, ExpressVPN and Mint Mobile, as well as Cameo and the other things that I've talked about this week. But most of all, thank you for spending part of your day here with me. I'll be back very soon with more movie news, reviews, box office, strike breakdowns, and more. Until then, stay safe, and I'll see you next time. Bye.